It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Introducing Built to Last, a new podcast by American Express. I'm Elaine Welteroth, and I'm excited to host the debut season where we will be deep diving into the stories, history, and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture. Through these important conversations, we'll hear how the Black business leaders of our past have inspired today's Black-owned small businesses and communities. Join us for the debut season of Built to Last on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. We continue our banger of a draft week, Joe. Another very special guest today. And I wish I could tease it, but I, again, I have to put this in the title of the show. So I can't even tease it. We have Zach Taylor today, guys. And we got about 15 minutes, 12 minutes of his time. And I think we got some new stuff. We've talked before on this show about how Zach Taylor's really good at not saying anything. And he didn't tell us, you know, anything mind-blowing. But we did get some different answers. Uh, asked him some questions I don't think he's necessarily heard before that, you know, were kind of some interests that I have personally. So you get to listen to Zach Taylor directly talking to us on the Lockdown Bengals podcast for segment two of this show. Then we'll come back that Willie Anderson interview from yesterday. I didn't have a time to ask Zach because we wanted to be very respectful of his time. I didn't have time to ask him what he thought about Willie's idea that the NFL doesn't hire offensive line consultants, but we can't fit it all in. Before we get to the Zach Taylor discussion, he also talked to the Bengals media today. You can go check that out on all Bengals social media. And there's a lot of stuff starting to come out. There's some tidbits coming either from agents, either from teams giving misinformation Hard to know for sure, but regardless, we're going to talk about all the draft rumors here as we're just a couple days away. Joe, you mentioned that there have been quite a few new rumors, particularly around the linebacker position, a little bit about the running back position, but let's start on linebacker because that is an area where increasingly we think the Bengals are going to be targeting this at some point this week. Yeah, that's right. First, it started with Albert Breer this morning saying that teams really like Jordan Brooks out of Texas Tech and Logan Wilson out of Wyoming. And looking at our grade, Jake, we both really like those guys, too. Originally thinking third, fourth round for the two of them maybe a month ago, it sounds like first or early second round for each. And Albert Breer had his mock draft two days before the thing kicks off, and he has Jordan Brooks going number 24 to the New Orleans Saints, citing that the Saints really like him, and they don't care what anybody else thinks. So I think we could see Jordan Brooks go before Patrick Queen, and that's exactly what Breer has in his mock. We also have Ian Rappaport with a few tidbits. 
first is that teams just love Kenneth Murray unanimously that uh, we should expect him to go high, that they really don't have anything negative to say about him. And then I think he's got a few more tidbits that pertain to pick 33. First of all, being that he expects the sweet spot for running backs to be between picks 26 and 32. And we can see potentially two running backs get picked in that, in that uh, area of, of the first round. And if that happens, I mean, that really pushes a couple guys back for the Bengals as we're not interested in running back at all. So that would be a good thing. He also says that a GM told him he has more than 32 first-round grades for the first time ever, which, again, old well for the Bengals getting a first-round prospect, if they agree, at pick 33. And then he also said that Houston's offensive tackle, Josh Jones, has the biggest range in this draft, saying he could go in the first round or the third round. That seems to be the trend lately in mocks of him being available at pick 33 for the Bengals. So I think there's a scenario we could be picking between Josh Jones, Denzel Mims, and Patrick Queen. And if that's the case, I think the Bengals uh, will have great options sitting there. And I think that would be a very difficult decision for the Bengals because they have not shied away from offensive line. That is a position that they are open to addressing. It seems like every time at least this coaching staff and Duke Tubman are asked about it, But at the same time, there's a glaring need of linebacker. There's been a glaring need of linebacker since, I don't know, 2016 or so. So if Patrick Queen is available and the Bengals like him, which I think is fair to say they probably think he's a good linebacker, that would be very tempting. It's something that Paul Daner Jr. in particular has written about quite a bit. And Paul does have a good pulse of what's going on with the Bengals organization. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I keep, as the draft is getting closer, that's the feeling I'm getting also is that if the right linebacker is there at 33, they will take him. So I think if it's Queen, although some of our past history with the Bengals says they may not like Queen as much as maybe the the perspective, the, the public perspective is on him because of production scores, because of size. But if we're talking the difference between drafting a guy in round one and drafting a guy in round two, they may be able to bypass or overlook a few of those things. I think, for me, who would be the best pick would be, even though we have Denzel Mims graded higher as a, as a better prospect, I think Josh Jones would be the right choice. Because I think you can play him at guard. I think you can win the right tackle job. I think protecting Burrow should be the first priority. And let's not act like linebacker is a bigger need than guard right now. I think you could make the argument guard is just as big, especially with drafting Joe Burrow number one. Yeah, Willie Anderson talked about that when he was on the Lockdown Bengals podcast yesterday. He's talking about there's just as much pass rush coming up the middle as there is outside these days. And obviously the Bengals know this. They've got Geno Atkins and they've had him for the last decade wreaking havoc on the interior of the offensive lines. And so it makes a ton of sense. And we've talked about Josh Jones as a superior prospect at 33 for quite some time now. And we have said for quite some time that we think he'd be a better pick than Denzel Mims and than any linebacker that might be available there. The only concern would be, do the Bengals believe that he can transition to a different position he played in college? He does have experience in a few spots on the offensive line, but fans might slightly overstate how easy it is to go from one tackle position to the other, not to mention from tackle to guard. And I feel like that's something that we talked with Trey Hopkins about when he was on the podcast last year too. It isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do to change positions. Regardless, it sounds like the Bengals will have some really nice choices on Friday, and we'll talk about those as we prepare for Friday later this week. Coming up next, our conversation with Zach Taylor, the Bengals' head coach. He was kind enough to give us about 15 minutes of his time this afternoon as he made the media rounds, and we got to ask him some questions I don't think he's been asked yet today, but 
He was on the Adam Schefter podcast. He met with Cincinnati media locally. So he's been all over the place, but he was kind enough to give the Locked On Bengals podcast some of his time. We'll get to his interview next. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? No, nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with my bookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close. So you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit matched halfway, all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out. The nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. We are now thankfully joined by... Cincinnati Bengals head coach Zach Taylor, two days before the Bengals make the first overall selection in the 2020 draft. Zach, I read that you have kids very similar in age to mine. My oldest just turned 10, and I have two daughters, seven and three. Uh, with everyone being home, we're about losing our mind. How, how's the Taylor family handling it? How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're in very similar situations there. They, uh, they're they doing well. You know, I think they've it's spring break last week, so they're back to their studies this morning, or I guess on Monday morning. And, and then they just kind of run around the driveway in the backyard and, and uh, try to be like when we were growing up, you know, go play outside, stay off your iPad and do your best, enjoy the weather and, and get dirty. I know you've got your kids watching tape with you. Would you say that they're more knowledgeable than your average NFL fan at this point? I, I don't know if I'd group them with the average NFL fan, but uh, my nine-year-old certainly puts in the time. He all he watches is YouTube videos of, of all the players that are currently in the NFL and um, thinks he knows uh, without watching any tape. Sometimes on some of these prospects, he sees a name and tells me we got to draft them because they're good. He hasn't actually watched a lick of tape. He just he saw a mock draft somewhere on NFL Network or something. So it, it's been fun that he's interested in it and he can be a part of it with me. And I know that I'm not going to have this every year, certainly. And so 
um, there, there's certainly ways that we can bond and, and enjoy this together. Just wait until they get on social media. Uh, we watched your conversation with local media today, and we know you don't want to talk about the number one pick. So we'll try not to talk about it too much. But I do want to ask, there's something that I find really interesting. Is Pete Carroll giving out his very obscure draft clues every year about who the Seahawks are targeting? What do you think about what Pete Carroll does with those fun little hints? <laughs> you know, he's, he's usually picking late in the first round, which is a good place to be if, if you're winning a lot of football games. I, that's just maybe his philosophy. You know, I'd, I'd prefer to keep it close to the vest, keep all yeah. of our options on the table, and, and not, not try to give any clues to who we're going. But again, that's just that's our approach compared to his. I just thought it was something kind of interesting that he does. It's kind of unique in that aspect. And speaking of other coaches, I'm just curious, Bill Belichick does a weekly film review session with the Patriots website. Have you ever thought about doing something like that? I've done that um, some other places I've been before. It's it's sometimes you outthink yourself because you're trying not to use our terminology. And mm. um, I, I remember sounding dumb at times when I was at the Dolphins doing that stuff because you try so hard to change some of the terminology and um, some of the reasons and not give things away. But, but it is a good way to involve fans. I know people find it really interesting and there can be some value there. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a great point. Maybe something to look into for us. The draft is almost here. Jake and I are excited. I'm sure you guys are even more excited, but we finished our draft board late last week. You said the team finished prep on Monday, and we know teams don't typically have about 250 guys or as many draft picks as they're going to be on their board. We've heard some teams have as little as 80, 100, 120 players. We have 168 on ours, Zach. Would you say you're closer to the low end of that or the high end? I'll be honest. I I think we've we certainly do enough to fill out seven rounds. Having me front my math is not very good. So however many prospects that is, we've at least had a conversation about them and where to stack them. And, and certainly there's guys where you say, Hey, we're, we're not going to draft this guy, but, but we, we project he'd be in this area, you know, and so he'll fill up the spot in front of us. But uh, so I, I, you know, you, you never know how teams, when they throw out an 80 number, what does that actually mean? Did they talk about a guy that they're not planning on drafting that they know is going to be drafted in front of them? Well, technically you talked about that guy and he counts. So I think it's just however you want to approach that number. That makes sense. Continue to talk about the draft a little bit. You're obviously an offensive geared head coach. You've got a lot of quarterbacking and quarterback coaching in your background. We've also been led to believe the Bengals involved their coaches in the draft scouting process a little bit more than other NFL teams. And now in a head coaching position, are you evaluating every position or are you kind of sticking to your, your strengths and what's been the focus throughout your NFL career? I've tried to be involved in every position. It's been fun. I really do feel like from the coaching side of things, we got a, a much quicker start than um, I think most staffs normally do because the senior bowl caused us to escalate our, our uh, scouting on the coaching side. It's a really fun process because the coaches are involved. And so they're accountable. You know, when you take a player that maybe somebody sits on the table for, um, you're accountable to make sure you develop that guy. And at the same time, our scouts do so much legwork and, and um, you know, they, they, they do so much work and, and they've got their, their opinions as well. And so ultimately it's just a, a mesh of, of who's the best fit for the Bengals. And it doesn't matter who, who, who does it, who, who makes the selection, as long as we all agree and um, we got a plan in place to develop the player and we think that they can get us to a championship level team. Um, it's a really fun process to undergo these last, I mean, we've been doing it since, since mid January. I remember we, we started watching 
guys by position, you know, really in, in mid-February before the combine even got going. And um, that's much sooner than, than I've done in the past. And it was it really helped us get a head start and all get on the same page and be able to talk through a lot of a lot of players by position, a lot of different scenarios that can be approached. And, and we certainly feel very comfortable with where we're at right now. The message that's reaching fans is that we are clueless this year as far as what the NFL is thinking. And that includes all the guys writing mock drafts for NFL.com and ESPN. But how do teams get an idea of what other teams are planning to do in the draft? Are you studying tendencies and thresholds that other teams have to give yourselves an idea of what's going on around you? Or are you just working through different scenarios and you're not really sure? No, we've got guys in the scouting department that certainly um, try to project where, where they think some needs are for some teams. You you like to not get caught up in what's going on um, through whatever whatever avenues are, are being portrayed where somebody's going to pick this guy and um, which guys are going to fall and which guys are going to drop because there's there's a lot of different people that are projecting that information and so you just stay true to the conversations you've had within your own walls and keep that and protect that information as best you can and and again you just try to try to do your best to to sort out who you think a team may pick but ultimately rank the players as you see them and so that that way you get the value you think you're you're getting from a player at a certain spot do you ever project what you expect, what do you expect the scenario to be for round two or round three? Is that something you guys do a mock within your draft room or to, in order to get to that conversation of, okay, here's the next five guys on our board. Let's have that conversation now. So we're prepared when we come on the clock. Yeah, that's, I think that's the biggest key. And, and that's, that's what usually is the challenge when, when you are on the clock, which we will be in the third round. Um, You want to make sure you have those conversations well in advance of, of the five or seven minutes, whatever it is that you're on the clock and um, can make some unpulsed decisions. So I, I think Duke's done a great job of managing all that, making sure we're, we're put through all the scenarios and we can talk through each guy. And if this happens, what would you do here? What would your opinion be? We talk through it all. That doesn't mean that things don't happen while you're on the clock in the later rounds, you know, but, um, but again, the, the benefit that we do have this year is the first round ends, you get a chance to take a breath, evaluate what's there and make the best decisions for the club. Like Jake said, we have less information this year than normal based on the the process and the situation the entire world's in. Do you guys feel the same way? Are you expecting to be as surprised as the public is by other team selections? I don't know that I feel it's, it's that much different than years before because I, I just it doesn't feel that much different, you know. And and again, we we try not to get caught up in what people are saying because again, where are they getting that information from an agent who's trying to put to uh, propel one of their players or um, is there a coach who's, who's giving out information, which usually seems pretty unlikely. Um, so again, you just, you just ignore that and just follow your board as best you can. Who in the draft room, when you guys are discussing players uh, brings up like the analytical side, like uh, this guy's production wasn't that great or the solo tackle market share or arm length. Is it, is there someone usually, I don't, I assume that's not a coach. That's gotta be someone in the scouting department, right? Well, we've got scouts with a lot of experience now. And so they, they've been exposed to a lot of different things. And um, we really talked through all areas of the player. And that's, that's from an analytics side of things. That's from the measurables. Uh, so again, we, we've got some good voices in the room who, who make sure that you, you go through the pros and cons of all the guys. Um, and it's, just, it's, it's a really solid process that, in my experience here, has been really good. Um, you get a chance to talk to guys and everyone's opinions are heard. You get to hear a lot of different reasons for why a player might be successful or not. Um, 
but again, I, I won't get too intimate with the details of how we do all that. But again, I, I do believe in the process that we follow. Now in the NFL, uh, successful teams adapt quarterbacks to their or to the scheme that best suits them. Maybe what they did in college a lot. It seems like to get a young player going early in his career, that's the best way to do it. What would that look like for the Bengals and the, this assumption of Joe Burrow, I mean, they ran a lot of uh, five-man protection, spreading it all out. When you watch it as a coach, and say you're watching a prospect, are you ever, like, stop real fast and, and look at the play or the scheme? And you're trying to watch the player, but you're like, man, what are they doing here? Is this something new? Is this something uh, that we can take in? And especially with maybe Joe Burrow being the number one pick. Right. I, you usually see it all in one view right there. You know, it's a, you're certainly watching the player that you're trying to scout. But at the same time, there's not a lot of um, new concepts being floated out there. There might be some some cool ways to do it, either with motion or formational air and things like that. Um, but for the most part, you've seen the scheme before. And so usually in that clip of watching a quarterback or receiver, you can tell what the concept was. It might be a full field concept. It might be a two or three man concept. Um, but But typically it looks like there's some familiarity there. And then – but I do think it's it, you made the right point. It is important if if you're playing on a guy coming in and playing um, that you you make sure you you not necessarily tailor the offense, but you find the things that that made them a, a high priority pick. And what do they have confidence in? What do they have success in? Does does it fit um, without getting too off course with what we believe in? You know, in philosophy wise as offense or defense. Are we able to to integrate the things that this player has been successful with, and um, that'll make us a great team? And so we spent a lot of time talking about that with with guys that we could potentially take. And again, we, you want to make them comfortable and make sure that they hit the ground running, and they can have their success. Zach, I've got one last question for you here. I know that you guys, as a team, have been in communication with season ticket holders, that sort of thing. I just want to give you the opportunity. We have a pretty large audience of Bengals fans. Your team is really popular right now, and that's been to our benefit. So thank you for being exciting at this time (laughs) of year. But I want to open up to you a direct avenue to talk to the fans. If there's a message you want to send out just a couple days before the draft here, just an open floor for you. We believe in what we're doing. And and the players that are in our building and that we've added to the building um, feel that same way. And, at the same time, we know that last year was not good enough and we got a ton of work to do. And so we're not just sitting here saying, hey, we, we look pretty good on paper right now and um, we're naturally going to improve. We don't, we don't take that for granted at all. And so we've got, we've got a lot of hard work in front of us. I know that we've got the right players in the building that are ready to attack it the right way. Um, we've spent a year getting to know each other really well. And so it's just a really exciting time to be a Bengal and, and we're going to put the work in and, and we're looking for great times ahead. I got to tell you, as exciting it is for you guys in the building, it's really exciting for us out here. And I, I got to say, our listener numbers really reflect that excitement. So again, thank you for that. Thank you so much for making some time for us today. I know you were very busy on the media circuit, and good luck this weekend. Appreciate it. You guys do a great job. Keep up the good work. That was our conversation with Zach Taylor. We are incredibly grateful to Emily Parker and for Zach Taylor to make some time for this little podcast today. Coming up next, the rest of our discussion with Willie Anderson. And a little disclaimer, this goes long. This is about 30 more minutes, maybe a little bit more, 35 minutes of that conversation. But we do want to make sure that you have the opportunity to listen to all of that. 
So we've talked to Zach Taylor about the draft. We're two days away. Get to enjoy a little bit more reflection. And looking forward this time with Willie Anderson, I asked him for fan expectations for Joe Burrow. So we'll talk about that with him. So stay tuned for the rest of that Willie Anderson discussion. And tomorrow we'll be back with our final mock before the draft on Thursday. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't want to do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash dellemc. Support for this podcast comes from The First One with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is The First One. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. It's almost like sometimes before you even get in the industry, it's like you set up to fail. And there's so many moments where you can win. And the winning is great, but it's so many things that you go through to get to the win. And so much more who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to the next level, changed their life, overlooked to being overbooked. When I was recording the song, I already knew it was going to be a global hit. And I'm not joking, my G. I really felt it inside of me. I was like, I just can't wait to see a number one. Join me every Thursday with the first one drops only on Amazon Music. Let's go. So, Willie, you've talked about the fact that players need to temper their expectations that Joe Burrow isn't a savior. I'm going to give you the floor here to just tell fans what they should expect. And maybe more importantly, the the Bengals fans didn't necessarily treat Carson Palmer, especially toward the end of his time in Cincinnati, and Andy Dalton the best. What can they do differently with Joe Burrow? Give time, man. Like, if if people knew how bright-eyed and bushy Carson was, like, Carson was so bright-eyed and bushy, man. Like, I'll never forget, that was a uh, photo shoot that uh, Chad, Carson, myself, I forget who else was there. I I, I just remember he and Chad not being there. And um, it it was beginning of the year, Beginning of the year preview of the season by the Inquirer. We went, went downtown to some museum somewhere. And Carson was, uh, I was asking Carson, yo, man, I said, um, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to learn my, my young quarterback. Yo, man, so what, what things I do? You like reading books, like playing piano? What are you like doing? He said, reading books. He said, what? Man, I'm so old. He said, you reading books? We all start laughing. He said, man, I like playing football. He said, that's all I want to do is be a great football player. And help turn the Bengals. We're gonna get things rumping, and the old, the old bitter part of me that has been around in the, the mid '90s was like, man, you gonna, boy, you gonna, you know, you gonna see how this damn thing gonna work. Hopefully, we get this thing going on. And part of Carson's, you know, exuberance, and 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 he and a guy like John Kitten and quarterback that helped propel us over because those guys were so positive. Carson was so positive because no, I, I I've been in plenty of huddles with a quarterback. <laughs> Rod Jones and I, Rod Jones and I were in a uh, were on Instagram live last week, and Rod said something about us. Man, don't say this person's name, bro. He said, man, he said you're not being a huddle, Willie. When the quarterback came in the huddle and said, man, 
y'all just go out for a pass, I'm going to throw that shit. <laughs> this sounds like Jeff Blake, man. Just throw it deep. <laughs> no, that wasn't very well. No, Blake, 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 Blake was a pro Bowl quarterback. This person told us, y'all just, y'all just the, the play could, now this person, <laughs> the plays weren't getting there. Uh, it was crazy, man. It was, it was crazy. The plays weren't getting there right. Coaches was crazy. He, he, the guy got to tell you his own story. But, so, to have Carson come in and he and Kittner, him and Kittner, that's why I was so adamant last week about, you know, it'd be good if they can keep Andy Dalton. I don't, I don't know how they'll do it, but I watched, I watched Carson boost Kittner. I watched Kittner boost, boost Car- jump, make, uh, Carson up so hard, so good. And the exuberant and youthful jubilation that Carson showed, that picked us up, man. Like, cause I, I'm, a, I'm an old grizzly bat. Like, you know, I'm playing without smiling for seven, eight years. You know what I mean? You know, so I mean, I'm playing like, okay, shit, come fourth quarter, be down three touchdowns and shit. I'm, I'm gonna just protect my guy, make sure my guy don't set the quarterback. All of a sudden, now we got a quarterback in the huddle now, who's who's talking shit and 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 going crazy and pumping guys up and telling us, hey, give me time, this a touchdown. Okay, yeah, right. We giving time, boom, touchdown, Chad, boom, touchdown. Yo, Willie, get the running game going. Come on, Rudy, boom, running game going, boom. I'm like, oh, it's just starting to work, like. I know I've never been on an offense before where the running game is working along with the passing game. It's, it's usually Corey Corey Dillon going against nine guys in the box. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, like we we, we like Corey's laugh all the time until Rudy said, "Man, I wish I saw you know six man boxes." <laughs> you know what I mean? So seeing it for the first time and seeing it, so I tell guys, let guys be young. Don't make him think that he got to come in here now. He could come here and beat Deshaun Watson and be rookie of the year. Shit, nah, that, that, that can happen too, now. But it's more likely that you have an up-and-down rookie season. And I think people – I don't want people to, to start putting on him that, you got to save us, Joe. Save us. And the guy started thinking that, and you start doing stuff you, you shouldn't be doing. I don't think he'll do that, but I've seen expectations wilder guys. Now, I've seen it happen with the Bengals' top picks. But now, I think Joe's a different kind of guy. He's going to come to a different kind of organization. And those guys come to Like, people understand that. Them guys, they're talking about, like, Carson Palmer didn't get ruined. Did he? No. Um, Andy Dalton didn't get ruined. I think time ran out on both of them. Time time ran out on Carson that Carson was mad about a bunch of stuff pertaining to players, pertaining to stuff with management. And it all built up on him, you know, we are all left. It built up on him, and time ran out on Carson. He started to get hurt, all this stuff. And the dog, time ran out. You know what I mean? You know, if they, damn, that 15 game, they win that game, things change. If we win, we, we win that 06 game against Pittsburgh and go to the playoffs two years in a row, hell, I probably won't get cut in the 07 after the, after the, in the 08 season. You know what I mean? So, you know, just those things, man. Time ran out on, on, on time ran out on guys. I think if he can't have some early success, that'd be great. I think the team is set up for them to jump back the next two two years, maybe faster than people think. Like, but don't think this year, eleven five, ten and six. That'd be great. If we did that. It'd be great. And Joe's rookie of the year. That'd be great. But if it's six and ten, you know, what they were two and fourteen last year. Mm-hmm. That's an improvement. And I think that you got, you got to be able to judge him on, you know, he probably won't have an off season this year. You know what I mean? He's going to have 
Merge, you know, so just I think just calm expectations down because I think we want to win it so bad. And, and I think the Bengals right now, the, the Bengals are gonna, the Bengals won't help them. The Bengals are gonna pump it up too. I think, I just, I think somebody said, Katie Blackburn said, this is the biggest thing ever in the history. Of this. I'm like, damn, like, <laughs> that's a big thing. But, but they got, they got to sell tickets. I'm saying that. Yes, you got to say this, this is one of the biggest things to happen for his team in 20 years. Of course it is. You know what I mean? To get a guy like that who had a, who had a once in a lifetime college football season. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a huge, that's a huge, that's a huge thing. So, Willie, you've been great with your time. My last question: um, Any offensive linemen you've watched in this draft? You, I saw you down at the Senior Bowl. Were you looking at anyone in particular? Have you, have you had time to look at any of these guys? Man, I honestly don't. Like, I'm the worst person ever get the draft. Like, I tell people to look. If the one's not paying me, watch the, the damn draft. And I'm not, I'm not doing that shit. Like, I'm not, I'm not going. Like, I'm not doing it. I don't have. I don't have a blog. I don't have, you know, I, I train and develop guys. When, when they get to the NFL and they get their ass kicked or not getting the coaching, they need some help, call me. You know what I mean? If they're in college, same way in college. I only see so many college guys, they call me. Hey, man, I look them up. Say, okay, you play the Clemson. Okay, boom, boom, boom. Now, I have high school guys. Now, I got, I got guys that are in college now that I've trained in high school, but I'm not really following guys to see. I know I, I I don't do that. You know what I mean? If I was getting paid to do it, it'd be easy. I'd love to do it. If I'm not getting paid to do it. I'm like, what? Why am I evaluating guys for the draft for? Like, what am I doing that for? <laughs> now, now, people would want to pay me to talk about that. It'd be an easy thing. I mean, I, I can look at linemen. I can I can evaluate linemen so quick and easy. But you know, I don't know who's who. You know what I mean? But I do think the Bengals should take with their second round pick. I think someone said this years ago, and we always say this with Carson. I told Carson years before. And back in 03, 04, I said, Carson, I said, when I, when I leave here now, you got to make sure that Marvin and Mike Brown, them, make them build this team around you. Make sure every draft, they give you something. Because we sat and watched Peyton Manning for years not even have a freaking defense. But he had two Hall of Famers on offense, mm-hmm. receivers, Pro Bowl tight ends, Pro Bowl running back, three Pro Bowl linemen. <laughs> and it wasn't until they they looked up and got Robert Matthews drafted free in the first round to where they they built a team designed for an inside dome team for Peyton to get the lead, be protected, get the lead, and Freeman and Matthews go rush your ass, sacks and turnovers. So protect the quarterback. You know, get it, get him, get in line. I, I want to see the Bengals get a big time guard. You know what I mean? Get you, get you a guy that third that third third pick to put beside Jonah and left guard. You know what I mean? And and, and go to work with two young guys, two 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 high ranked top guys. You know what I mean? Only thing about that is, you know, I don't think the Bengals will ever retain a Pro Bowl guard. You know, in the, in the years past, they have them. I think in the new day of NFL, they will. So if they got a guard in the second round, he's on the Pro Bowl pick. I think in the days NFL, they would have to keep it. You know what I mean? You have to. You got you, you to pay him, too, because these quarterbacks are now getting rushed up the middle just as much now or more than off the edges. So I want to see them with the 33rd pick get a big-time guard. Now, who it is, I have no clue. I don't know. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I, I don't think either Joe or myself would be opposed to a 33rd pick being used on 
an offensive lineman. I got one last question for you here too. I wanted to get into the three four defense stuff, but I think we've taken enough of your time. So I just no, want to I'm know. Good, man. Go ahead, talk. Go, go ahead, talk. Let's go. I'm good. You want to talk about the three four defense? Okay, because uh, you, you you've said you had some concerns about the Bengals transition to a three four. I said. Well, they were doing a lot of that stuff last year with their 5-2 looks, and I don't think that they necessarily are planning to go to a LeBeau system, a two-gap system. Yeah. They're just yeah. doing a lot of one-gap, 3-4, a lot of 3-4 under stuff. Yeah. Is, is, yeah. is your concern the two-gap thing, like the old-school LeBeau style, or is it like just getting that's up what, and do a two-point stance? Yeah, well, that's what guys like Geno Atkins don't want to do. Geno don't want to be two-gap in the body. He want, mm-hmm. he want to get up here and be – a disruptor, as you guys know, and you guys said it on Twitter that you guys both said it won't be a traditional two gap scheme. You know what I mean? So when when I, I think three four three down line, I'm thinking you know big fat nose guard, two five techniques, outside backers, bubble guards. You know, that's, that's what I'm thinking. You know, but that's that's not that. You know what I mean? I, I just, you know what you guys more describing now is the traditional odd man front. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? A odd man front, which is which is odd man could be a three down or be a five down. It could be where you put it. be where you position your down line in that. So I was saying more of that. You know, I was more you know thinking like, oh no, don't don't do that. You know, because it was just so ironic that day. Ironic the day we talked about it. It was the day that Adrian Ross was on my Instagram live. You know, describing the describing the nightmare he went through. Yeah. You know, changing defenses as an outside linebacker with you know with, with Renard Wilson, and it was it was a funny story. It was some of the funny stories we got that we can tell. And uh, but he just he was describing that nightmare of trying to a new a staff coming in want to play a three four but you but you only got four down line guys you know what I mean you ejected Renard Wilson to be an outside rusher and now all of a sudden you got Renard Wilson in two point stands we used to be like we as players actually used to laugh like what are y'all doing like Renard looks so goofy dropping <laughs> <laughs> the cover like 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 I, I personally thought they. Uh, my man, uh, 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 from Georgia that got hurt, uh, Pollock. Uh, Pollock. He should never did that. Like he should never lost all that weight. <laughs> he should never. When I seen Pollock, I'm like, what are, y'all, what are we doing? Like, why are we? Why are we, we get a guy out of the SEC who played at least the minimum two sixty? David told me sometimes he was two seventy. Mm-hmm. All the things at the camp, he, I'd never forget this. I'd never forget this. He was two forty nine. He was like a. A regular, small human being. <laughs> and I, and I they said, did that to Michael Johnson. He was two forty six one year, and he's six six foot seven. That's crazy. I said, who is David Pollard going to beat at that size right there? <laughs> he has he has short arms. He's, he's not fast. He was beating guys in the SEC. He was being a, a freaking brute. <laughs> like, what are y'all done to him? You want to stand him up? Oh my god! No, come on, <laughs> come on, man. Like, I can't believe it. I, I saw David Pollard. Oh, my God. Y'all got David Pollard trying to do a spin move now? Like the white friend? Get the fuck out of here. Like, this, this I'll never forget. He came to camp. I don't know. The first year, second year. Oh, you know, they, they played, what, two years or three years? I can't remember. Two. Two. So, that'd be his first, second year. He's at 249. He had no muscle tone. I said, what are y'all done, dude? This guy was one of the greatest players in the FEC history. What, what, what happened? That's a bad look, man. You know, you spin moving and no, he was a brute, bro. Let him be a brute. Let 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 Justin Smith be a brute. Now, Justin was for three three fourteen and mm-hmm. Justin played four three for us, right? And 
we called him underachiever. Well, no, we didn't call him underachiever. People expected Justin to be a 12, 13 sack guy. And Justin, Justin told me one day he's a big willie. In college, I never, not ever in my life, got over nine and a half sacks. <laughs> he, said, he said, I was drafted to be a pass rusher. I'd never sell the pass rusher. Justin was a run defender, beat your ass up. He's going he gonna, he gonna to dominate your defensive line in the run game. But in the 4 3, we're expecting him to be an edge rusher because you got him with the fourth pick. So, fourth pick, people want numbers. And you're not saying this man is an underachiever. He go play on a 3 4 defense. And he's team MVP two, three years in a row. Shit's crazy on a Super and Bowl team. He had the same exact sacks for the 49ers as he did for the Bengals. It's just the perception that all the of a sudden, he's a, right. It's the perception. It's the perception. And it, it wasn't sack because he, he never was a sack guy. He never was a sack guy. They had guys around Justin rushing a passer that Justin going to clean up, but Justin going to beat your damn tackle's ass and going to set a tempo and set a tone for your team that, hey, the guy in front of him going to get his ass beat all game long <laughs> and going to allow other guys to do other things around him. probably was team MVP because he, he allowed some guys to do things around him. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you know, but yeah, he was never a fat guy, so he was never like putting a different scheme for sacks. No, that was never his thing. But uh, you know, you know, I want to see Carl Lawson guys break out because I, you know, I've been knowing Carl Lawson since he was a junior in high school. You know what I mean? And I think I think Carl has a really good chance to be, you know, a premier rusher. Um, and you just got to figure out what you're gonna do with him. So I think figuring out guys like him and you know, you, you, you get some other really good linebacker play and you know, let Gino let don't don't just depend on Gino all the time for sacks. You know, and, and Dunlap. Yeah, that's why I think uh, edge rusher could be a sneaky need, even though I think they like Dunlap, Hubbard, and Lawson. It's just, you know, you can never have too many. Plus, they like to kick one inside next to Geno and just, you know, get some athletes out there. So I still think edge could be on uh, high high on their list of needs this year in the draft. Like TJ said, TJ and I both said on Instagram Live with it. We both said, if I'm building a team, I'm always go O-line, D-line, as many pick as I can. Like, it was like, I mean, one year we played, we played the Patriots, 06. Let me see. Was I hurt? Let me see. I was 07. I was hurt in 07. And um, I was on the sideline with Chip Morton, <laughs> old strength coach. He and Ray Oliver, strength coach. I was hurt 07. We played them. So Tom Brady came there and ran them off. So you got them again. And we sat there and watched their D line and their linebacker. And I said, damn. Look how we all were like, look how massive the Patriots are just running bodies and running guys in like the game. Just massive guys, not guys who were just pro bowlers. Because their, their system, their system didn't allow them to be lying. You know, it was amazing how Richard Richard Seymour would get mm-hmm. pro bowl votes because he wouldn't really put up numbers. But they had like five or six guys that looked like Richard Seymour: big, long, tall guys, big, big legs, big asses. Gonna hold your ass up because the pitch's whole thing was hold you up at the line of scrimmage and build a wall. <laughs> you can't earn the ball. And we're gonna play coverage on you in the secondary, make your QB throw us picks. That's that's their philosophy. Like like Nick Saban. Like they don't care about sacks, they care about interceptions and stopping the run game. You know what I mean? So it was so massive. I said, damn. I said the Patriots got it right, man. I'm gonna just get a bunch of big ass the Baltimore did the same way. Mm-hmm. Bunch of huge, big ass dominant D linemen. You know, we got pass rushes galore. We got Triple Price right here. We got Suggs right here. 
We got a little Nade right here. Then we got Air, you know, we got Ray Lewis. We got just bringing a bunch of guys. You got uh, Double J, Jared Johnson, guys who's not even considered great player, but they're good, solid pros who are gonna beat your ass. But you got a bunch of them kind of guys. So when it's time to go pass rush, like you get, like you guys said, we're gonna rush your passer with a bunch of guys. We're gonna stop this run with a bunch of guys who are gonna be intimidating guys. To me, that's what the Bengals need. The Bengals need some intimidation. They need they need an attitude of intimidation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, it'd be great if they can do that with their front guys. So in football, if you're big guys or tough guys, if anything they say is lying on it, you know, O line, D line, linebacker, those guys are your tough guys on the team and you're badass, the team will be a pretty good damn team. I mean, I mean, look at football. Well, you know, those... the media the media and fans can pump up Tom Brady all they want to. But we all know Tom Brady has six rings because he had a bunch of badass guys around him. Yeah, it's a team badass sport guys. for sure. Yes. A lot of those teams also had really good coverage behind those big guys up front yep. is, is yep. what – that's what PFF would tell you anyway, right? PFF will tell you the most yeah. important positions in football. And it's interesting to hear how you and TJ both disagree about this uh, with PFF. Because PFF will tell you quarter, quarterback first, and then it's actually cornerback second. And you think about yep. those Ravens teams. I mean, they had Ed Reed back there, right? The, one of the best ball-hawking safeties of all time. I mean, it, make, it makes sense. I mean, the, the, the numbers, like, I'm not such an old-school guy where I don't believe in numbers. But the numbers got to play into both. So we, we know some teams that they're not that only believe in numbers and getting their ass whooped. Mm-hmm. But we know some teams that take some data, take some take some science, some some data stuff, and take the old take take the the safety numbers. We, 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 our big guys gonna be some good guys. And yes, you you do have to have playmakers. I mean, the Falcons down here struggling right now because they need some guys that hold coverage a little bit longer. You know what I mean, everything plays together. Your your guys rushing the quarterbacks, like I said, like I said, like I said. Nick Saban and uh, 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 Belichick they don't really care about dominant rushers. I mean, think about it. I mean, Belichick have a different dominant rusher every year. He would, he would go make he would go make a, a, a Pro Bowl cornerback seem like every year some guy be a damn Pro Bowl quarterback. Yeah, the guy this year, defensive player of the year, and I bet folks can I can't tell you his name. I mean, he's good though because I love watching cornerbacks. Of course, in today's game. You need corners, and you need a slew of good corners because teams are going to throw teams, and the rules are going to dictate that the passing game, you know, it's no longer a running game lead. I mean, running. I say the running game now is for it's for quarterbacks to, to take a break. Seem like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> teams are trying to run the ball. It teams are trying to get that old school two thousand three, no, ninety six through 03. You got to get that four and a half yards to carry, guys. We don't get that. We losing. You know, Marvin had a stat for us. With the Bengals, uh, when either was it Rudy? No, when as a team, if we got in our division game, we worked for 120 yards a game. We were 20 and 0. We were 20 and something 0. We were 20, we were 20 and 2 and 0, and Rudy carried the ball 21 times a game. So I would ask Brakowski, like, well, why the hell you can't get Rudy the ball 21 times a game then? If you know we 21 and 0. Well, I don't really go like that, Willie. Like, man, come on, man. Like, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be trying my ass as a coordinator to get that number, if that number says we're going to win that game. But we all know games don't always go like that. You know what I mean? But I definitely think cornerback is a huge because you got you to have somebody who can cover 
and not I mean the biggest thing now I don't I don't know if the biggest thing now is covering or just not committing a freaking foul. Right. <laughs> you can have guys who not a cover and not foul. Because teams is now just throw the, throw the ball up deep. Hope yeah. for hope for a flag. The Joe Flacco play. special. <laughs> <laughs> you just throw it up. <laughs> you know? Throw it up, man. And, and you know that, that that's that's why we think, you know, you know, they get they get AJ Green, AJ Green buys in and you know, the board and knee board and but the biggest thing with the Bengals gonna be that protection. It's gonna be you gotta give a young QB like Joe a running game. Yeah, Andy Dalton needed a running game. Carson Palmer needed a running game. I mean, they would say what you wanted. I understand the NFL is not a running game anymore. I, you know, it it bugs the shit out of me. I, I don't understand how running backs are not even built the same anymore. Like you don't even you don't even see running backs breaking eighty yard runs no more. Mm. Fifty yard runs. It's, it's a big thing if a guy get a seventeen yard run. That's a huge thing right now in the NFL. Because guys either run about I me. Mean, guys not you're not durable. I mean. Jerome Bell, he got playing into that 30s. It's a guy's old. Now he get 27, he's too old. But guys need running games. Say what you want. Every year, come December, I'll never forget Tom Brady said this. When I was playing football, cause I used to be so envy of the Patriots. And Tom Brady said, I don't care what anybody says. Come December and January, he said this, my last year playing football. No, it's in 07. His Super Bowl winning season. I mean, he's. MVP season, they lost the Super Bowl. He said, come December and January, we have to run the football. Have to run the football. Now, rest of the year, you can throw the ball all around the field and win games. But for some kind of reason, the teams that run the football in the playoffs, they win. I think the recent Not- thought is that you can plug any running back in as long as you've got a good system and a good O-line, though. Do you subscribe to that? Like, hey, you put anyone behind me, I'm going to block, and we're going to get we're gonna get this ball moving on the ground. Yeah, if you're saying, yeah, to get average yards moving the ball, yeah, because teams down, they, they realize they don't need a great running game. You just need an efficient running game. So, you know, I feel bad for running backs because the running backs are now, their value is down because teams mm-hmm. are saying, you know, we, we we don't need Adrian Peterson running game. We, we don't need a 1995 running game in NFL. We don't need that. We, we need we need we need efficiency. You know, a guy can pick up you know third and one, third and short. Can keep it in second and six, second and four, third and two. If, if you can keep young QBs in those kind of games, you know what I mean. To where you know he's he's not doubling. He's not doubling like we, we, we were on live the other day and one of one of the um, uh, Topa, what's the guy name? But the Seattle Seahawks, Topa, 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 what's the name is? Play with PJ at Seattle. He said, "Yeah, man, all we did was just we were just double chat and we PJ one on one." And we said, "Yeah, if our, if our running game wasn't working, stuff they did, but you can't double chat if Rudy run running the ball on your damn throat." But like I say, today is a different game, different football game, different game. I think guys run the ball now just to see what, what the defense is doing. <laughs> You know, give us a better look so to see what blitz is coming. Yeah, there's a couple teams that still do it the old school way. The Tennessee Titans did a lot of that with Derrick Henry because he's a giant freak. And obviously the Baltimore Ravens are running a very run-centric offense around Lamar Jackson now. But, Willie, I want to talk to wrap things up about your plans for the future. You're you're working with high school guys. You're working with some pro guys now. I, I don't know if I knew that or not, but – do you have a yeah. five-year vision for yourself? You've, you've often talked about, 
you know, you want to teach technique and you say they don't do that enough in the NFL. And I've always asked you, why don't they just hire another guy like Willie Anderson to work on the technique while the coaches work on the scheme? So I'm wondering if that's part of your five-year plan for yourself. Yeah, that was that was my original plan getting into this bit into this business. You know, and I wanted to have high school kids, but of course, you know, I, I want to work with NFL linemen. But you know, once I've seen how hard it was, and offensive line coaches are very territorial. You know, to bring a Willie Anderson in to be a guy, you have to be a very secure guy with yourself. I don't want your job. I know I'm not trying to be offensive line coach. I'm trying to be, you know, like when when the Cowboys brought me in with Paul Alexander. It worked so perfectly that we had three guys. Paul, Colombo, the assistant guy, and I would take the other guys. So it worked so perfect to have three guys. But most NFL teams, most college off of the line, most they got two guys trying to coach ten, 10 guys. And as a player, I've been the player to when Paul didn't have to worry about teaching Stacey Andrews. I taught Stacey Andrews. Paul, Paul, Paul can teach. Paul had to teach Whitworth because it's different from what Levi Jones were doing. But then when it got down to it, he always had me to talk for Whitworth. The same way Whitworth got in there, Whitworth can help other young guys. Because, so we have veteran guys, but some teams don't have veteran guys like that no more. I mean, you, don't, you don't have guys like that where you got you got three guys on. You got three at one time. There's myself. Levi Jones and Andrew Whitworth on the same damn team. Now, people outside of Cincinnati don't probably don't think Levi Jones was a great player, but we know he's a real solid, good player when his knees were messed up. The guy played on hurt knees for the Bengals. He gave the Bengals, he gave the Bengals some games and years. Right after surgery, played after after surgery, he played his heart out. So, so, to me, those three kind of guys are doing a team that's going to boost a team's competitive spirit. Of Andrew Whitworth came to a came to a team, but we had two really good tackles. That he can learn from, you know what I mean. He had me still playing at a Pro Bowl level that he can learn from, you know what I mean. So teams don't have it today, and I think they need a third guy. But you know, most owners don't know about off of the line play. I mean, most head coaches don't. Like Marvin didn't know a damn thing about off of the line play. Like we, like, look at that, Marvin. Like Marvin couldn't tell us nothing about how to block our guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Most head coaches can't. He's an active position coach. Is the guy doing it or he's not? And it falls back on the position coach. So if an owner don't know about off-the-line play, if the head coach, if it's not an offensive guy, don't really know about it, he's going to really trust his off-the-line coaches to, because and there's no off-the-line coach in the NFL that's going to say, hey, yeah, let Williams come in here and help because to them, it looks like they're weak and it's stupid. And to me, the players are getting hurt. The players are getting hurt. I mean, every other every other position does it. Freaking Jordan Palmer can go be a Jordan Palmer. I, I just saw today. I saw a stat on ESPN say Jordan Palmer played in damn was it eighteen games or eight games? And Jordan Palmer is looked upon by the NFL as a quarterback guru. Teams hire him. He's told me this personally. Teams hire him. Teams, teams put Jordan Palmer. On you know, you know I'm not gonna tell his business, but they teams find creative ways to pay Jordan Palmer. Mm-hmm. No line coach will ever do that. You know, Robert Matthews served as a pass rush consultant for the Baltimore for uh, the Colts for years. I think he, now he's a coach now. 
But for like three or four years, his title, when the game was on Sunday night NBC, it said Robert Mathis, pass rush consultant. DeMarcus Ware, pass rush consultant. Calvin Johnson was touring the NFL doing wide receiver consultant. But at the offensive line position, I mean, think about it. The Bengals brought Chuck, my friend Chuck, Chuck Smith, and when Chuck mm-hmm. Smith, D line, D line trainer, that's my one of my great friends, has toured around the whole country, NFL team. Now I've gone to Dallas, I've gone to the Bengals for a minute, I've gone to, you know, working in training camp, work with Cleveland, but you know, I didn't go anywhere last year because I was, I was, I was tired from my whole all season. But you know, line position, line. I tell agents all the time. The worst thing an agent thinks is a guy is going to go to the NFL and he's going to get better. By only coaching. That's a lot. That's why so many bad offensive linemen. You know what I mean? Because the coaching either don't have the time to teach guys or they don't have the the ability to teach and develop guys. But the main thing is time. Go to a training camp and see do offensive line coaches ever freaking sleep, rest, or eat. They're all eating their offices. They're all stressed out about putting in more plays, more plays, more plays. And I'm at training camp seeing the backup guys, the backup guard and tackle. Willie, can you help me, man? I don't, I'm not getting into this stuff, man. I don't get any reps. I'm like, damn. It's crazy. How can a team not see this? But it come back down to it. When an owner asks and the head coach, do you think you should bring a Willie Anderson to be a consultant? Because I, I train clinic pro guys. I just choose to work with high school guys because, you know, I know high school guys will listen to me completely. And that's where you, you, you'd be able to get. I, I turned a guy into a Paris Johnson who, 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 was, who, was, who was not that good of a player and turned the number one player in the country now at Ohio State, number one line in the country the past year. Because kids, kids are going to be forced to listen to me completely. And I know because I love teaching. I love giving a player everything I got, all the info I got, I just love it. I found out that's my passion. I was doing restaurants. I was doing real estate, music. My passion, I love to do is teach guys how to how to it's 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 a it's a, it's, it's something like martial arts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I think pass protection to me is one of the most spiritual parts of, of, of football because you got to be in sync mentally. People say, "What was wrong with Cedric Abohi? Cedric's problem was mental. You can do all the drills you want to do with him until you help him overcome his mental block, which a coach don't have time." Paul Alexander sees now that when he was coaching, he can't do as much training as he does now with guys when he was a coach. But he'll tell you, when he was a coach, he couldn't see that. <laughs> and majority of coaches don't see that. They don't see – an NFL coach will never get you a – we don't need Willie Anderson. What, Willie Anderson is a player. Players can't coach. Players can't come in here and spend nine hours and to put three plays in and sit there for three hours to go over like, well, what if? What if? What if? You're damn right. I can't do that. <laughs> hey, but coaches but, can make David Pollock lose a bunch of weight and play outside linebacker instead of putting on. his hand on the ground, man. Come on, man. That's what, that's what coaches know we're doing. Coaches, you know, what I can do, what PJ can do, is show motherfucker how to run a route. <laughs> Get out of here. You, you tell me, I can't teach a guy. I'm not saying to block like Willie. I, I'm not going to show the left guard how to block like I did at right tackle. No. Coaches have to first learn that we as ex-players know how to teach. And for the most part in the NFL, you guys see me say it on Twitter a lot, when you play in the NFL, your resume 
playing the NFL is the only job description where your resume is used against you. Oh, he's a player. He's a player. He don't want to spend all his time doing this. Well, you're right. Give me the guy. Let me, let me go train this tackle right here to be coach. Show me your techniques. Okay, boom, 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 boom. Let me teach him. I teach him your stuff. All this stuff is universal. Like, I don't just teach stuff that me and Paul, Paul Alexander and myself did. No, I teach a variety of stuff because every guy is different. But you, but you, but at the, at the beginning, you have to first trust me and want to know that I know how to teach. And I think right now, and that's part of the big thing in the O line community that you know, think about it. You guys don't know. You guys don't know too many ex Pro Bowl players or you know borderline Hall of Fame players that are training players. Who's doing it? Nobody. Cause you know why? They know that I'm not doing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I hear you, man. Guys well, want to do it. I, I know guys Guys would love to do it. I, I know guys who tell me all the time, man, I love what you're doing, man. I just can't do it. I, I love that stuff you're doing. I just want to – and I, I did it because I was in – I had a, a high school son who was a receiver, and my son needed training. My son's in college now, a scholarship at Georgia Tech, because I got him trained as a receiver and DB quarterback. And during that time, I saw the lack of training for offensive linemen. But, damn, people, people were begging me to help their kids. I said, man, I can't. My son is so behind. I got to worry about my own son. <laughs> and I know plenty of guys want to do it, but ex-players, you immediately, it's like, it's like they want to keep ex-players out of the training business. They try to look down upon you and make you think, oh, that's nothing. Like, you know what I mean? They, they, they will even, they'll even turn players against you. Well, I want you training get that guy. But he, he comes from this system. What are you talking about? So, even sometimes pro players are turned out. I have some players that not, that not want to train on me because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that weakness. And in that gym, it's going to be kind of embarrassing. They're going to be doing things that they're not good at. And they want to do things that are good to, to show people in the gym how strong they are. You know, so let's, let's go push a truck. <laughs> hit, a, hit, a, hit a tire with a, with a freaking hammer. Push this truck. Go squat. Oh, no, that bro. Doing all that shit right there, I told you. I told, look, man, you can do all you can do all this stuff right there. That's not going to stop that bull rush. <laughs> it's not, you know. So, so yeah, man. Hey, I, I for one hope that the youth, that may, maybe the new thinkers, right? Zach Taylor's only a couple years older than me, and I know I would hire Willie Anderson for my offensive line consultant. So you know what, man? I hope that some of these young guys that are getting into coaching positions in the NFL start to figure it out too. We really appreciate your time. You were yeah. very generous. You spent a lot of time with us. I could talk to you for hours. You got great stories, but we're going to let you go. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, bro. Thank, Thank you, Willie. Night, Willie. All right. No problem. Thank y'all. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild-card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, 
every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.